If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Meet Youngblood and Ramel. They're a generation apart and united by a bond that's stronger than blood. They need each other to survive. Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, Brian O'Dell, Youngblood, with music written and performed by war. Youngblood, rated R. We're not talking about actors. We mean a real monster. I brought her back. She'll live and I'll get her another body. I want to kiss me, but don't let anyone see me like that. Please, doctor, help me. Biologically speaking, it's of primary importance that man should want to mate. Hey, that You don't get all your kicks from surfing, do you? We want to be free to ride our machines without being hassled by the man. And we want to get loaded. You think you're going to make a slave of the world? I'll see you in hell first. The American International Podcast. Are you ready? Welcome once again to the American International Podcast. My name is Jeff Markin. I'm Cheryl Lightfoot. And today we are taking a look at the film Youngblood from 1978. Youngblood was directed by Noel Nosek, written by Paul Carter Harrison, produced by Nick Grillo and Alan Rich. It stars Lawrence Hilton Jacobs as Ramel, Brian O'Dell as Michael slash Youngblood, a.k.a. Junior, Ann Weldon as Mrs. Gordon, Michael's mom, David Pendleton as Reggie, Michael's brother, Ren Woods as Sybil, Ron Trice as Bummy, Ralph Farquhar as Geronimo, Maurice Sneed as Skeeter Jeter, Herb Rice as Durango, Lionel Mark Smith as Chaka, Sheila Willis as Joan, T.K. Carter as Bubba Cosell, Tony Allen as The Hustler, Vince Cannon as Corelli, Art Evans as a junkie, and Isabel Cooley as the principal. That's a large cast for what is essentially a pretty small movie. It is. Also, we should mention that this is not to be confused with Youngblood 1986, which starred Rob Lowe and was about prep school hockey. This is a totally different movie. Instead of hockey, this movie starts off with basketball. Yes. It's, well, it starts off with some big red credits. There's The type is huge. We find out that the soundtrack is composed by war. So that's kind of cool. But it kind of gives us the impression this is going to be a big, bold movie. But then, yes, we go to basketball. And it's not good basketball. <laughs> no. Well, it's good for one participant. And they're playing basketball to the sounds of war. Everything in this movie is to the sounds of war. Just a warning. Being the band war. Right, right. Well, that and also street gang war. So during the course of the basketball game, our hero, who is Michael slash junior slash youngblood, tries to put up a shot and he puts it straight into the other guy's face. He didn't just hit him in the face with a basketball. He bloodied him really good. And the other guy has some friends, some homies hanging out at the basketball court. And they all decide to kind of gang up on him, chase after him. They want to pummel him. And just when it looks like all is lost for young blood, he wakes up. It was all a dream. Wow. What a cheap techie way to start a movie. Uh, we can forgive that though, because it, it meant nothing, but it was just a way to kind of introduce the soundtrack, I think. So our main character wakes up from this dream just in time to see his television sign off for the broadcast <laughs> day. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Well, we both work in television, so we do remember when we did that every night. He grabs a leg of chicken from the side of his bed and watches the snow on the television for a little while. Yeah, who doesn't have bedside chicken? I mean, if you don't, you should. I think it's a nutritious, protein-filled way to ensure sweet dreams. And I guess he does eventually doze off because it's suddenly morning and his mother is waking him up. She's not happy. I think he overslept. We should note here that he's not a, a child. He's 15, 16 years old, old enough to wake himself up. But mom is not happy because he didn't. The sun's out and he needs to get up and go to school. And also he didn't eat dinner last night. 
she's not noticing the chicken on his next to his bed. Apparently, must have eaten the bones. <laughs> I'm sure it still smells like chicken in there. Anyway, his mother's concerned because it takes him a really long time to get ready. He changes his outfit several times trying to figure out what he's going to wear to school that day. Yeah, every morning there's a montage of trying on outfits. And this morning is no exception. He eventually settles on something, though. And the next thing you know, we're at school. And it's not the start of the school day. We're in PE class. Everyone's doing some sort of exercise, basketball, rockets practice for the girls. Something's going on with everyone except for... Youngblood uh, slash junior slash Michael and his friend, Bummy. They're just loitering around the basketball court. Bummy gets Youngblood in a private conference, as private as you can be on the basketball court in gym class with the teacher nearby and kids everywhere, and wants to show him something that he found at his grandmother's house. And he does this on the sly. Nobody can really see them. They got their backs turned to everyone. What he's showing him is a gun. I don't know that there's bullets in it, but he has the chamber open and he closes it real quick and then asks Youngblood to hide it in his hat. We didn't mention when he got dressed, he's wearing this enormous, like, what kind of hat is that? A toque of some kind. Big knit hat that covers his whole afro. So Youngblood slides the gun up into his hat. But unfortunately, by now, they've caught the attention of the gym teacher who wonders why they're not doing gym. Yeah, they aren't even dressed for gym class, but... Youngblood says that he has his sneakers on, at least. <laughs> and Bummy says that his mom is washing his shorts, so he's got a good excuse. And they're working on figuring out what to do. They're, they're, they just haven't decided yet. Right. They're thinking about it. They're thinking about it. And the gym teacher is not happy with this answer. And then he starts to wonder, what's up with that hat? Because it is kind of large and silly looking. And he wonders if there's something under there, which is very perceptive of him, because it really didn't look any different after gun than it did before gun. This makes Bummy and Youngblood run to the fences where they get easily wrangled by the gym teacher. And cut to the principal's office. Dun, dun, dun. Youngblood is sitting there and we hear his mother is in the room as well. And <laughs> Yep, called she, the mom. And she's explaining how hard she has it at home since his father died and well, he, we don't know that he died. He, it says that he passed on, which kind of made it sound like Papa was a rolling stone and he kept moving. I think that's up for interpretation. But anyway. And we learned that he has a brother who is older and able to take care of himself. Yeah, he's a success. He never was any trouble in school. Poor young blood, nothing but trouble. Mama doesn't want him to be trouble, but here's what she's saddled with regardless. So the principal is kind of cool with this. She says she's a single mom, too. She understands. Youngblood's mom's afraid that the police are going to get involved. But the principal says, no, you're suspended from school for two weeks. But instead, what we recommend is that you see a social worker. So we cut to a gym. Not in school. Nope. And Youngblood is working with his new social worker. <laughs> He's jumping rope at the moment. Yeah, this is a boxing gym. Like you may have seen in the movie Rocky. Or Rocky too. So he finishes up with the uh, rope jumping and they're going to take it to the ring. Right. And the social worker, who is also a boxing instructor, says this time, so we know that this isn't their first session, this time no mouthpieces because he wants to talk him through this boxing lesson. Correct his technique, as it were. And apparently it's pretty bad because the social worker lands a punch on him and, and kind of knocks him off kilter a bit. So I think this is the end of the social worker session, and he's supposed to start going back to school. Instead of school, though, we head to an evening out. Yeah, young Blood and Bummy are going to hit the clubs. They go to some sort of a dance club. Seems like it's an underground club. It's not really well-staffed or anything, but there's a DJ. And they exclusively plays war. And they exclusively play war. And not just any song, their new hit, Galaxy. Burning up the disco charts at this point. Youngblood notices a girl in his class on the floor. Her name is Sybil. She's very pretty. He's very interested. And he looks at her for a moment, and then he decides he wants to go over and make a move. Bummy says, you probably ought not to do that, though. She's from the wrong side of the fence. I thought they were on the wrong side of the fence. Well, I think what he means is that she's on the right side of the fence, and they aren't. So it's a bad idea to engage with her. But he knows her from bio class, so he's going to go over there anyway. 
Someone else notices too at this point. We don't know who it is, but I think we can assume that it's someone else from the other side of the fence. And that person sees Youngblood dance with Sybil, is her name, and starts to get his homies together so that something can be done about it. And Bummy also sees this, and he starts looking to warn Youngblood. We should mention this is a really fun part of the movie where they're doing this really long soul train kind of dance routine. And it's pretty fun watching everybody dance here. And the music is kind of good. So Bummy goes to Youngblood and tells him it's time to go because it seems trouble is a brewing since <laughs> somebody appears to not appreciate Youngblood dancing with this young woman. Right. But before they can even turn around, that guy is there. And he and his friends demand more payment from them. They already paid to get in, but there's a price for dancing with Sybil. Right. This is Durango. He's Sybil's brother and the leader of the Daltons, a rival gang. Well, we don't know who they're rivals of yet, but they, they are a gang. While they're shaking down uh, Youngblood for his bus fare, they ask what gang that Bummy and Youngblood are in. And they say they're not in a gang. But I think what they mean is they're not in a gang yet. They say that's too bad. They're not inviting them to join, though. I think they're just, you know, looking for a fight. Well, it's too bad for them because if they were in a gang, there could be trouble if they rough them up. Right, like retaliation. Right. But they have no protection at all since they're not in a gang. So that is too bad for them. So they're going to be taken outside and roughed, and roughed up. up a little bit. They decide to run away instead, though. Youngblood and Bummy take off on foot and somehow managed to jump on the back of a truck, which is slowly going up the avenue here. They get away. <laughs> I think the other guys weren't trying that hard. And, and one of them has a gun, but he can't get it situated fast enough to fire it. Right. Or, he, or he doesn't want to do it in public, one of the two. Guns jam a lot in this world. <laughs> They're so unreliable. Better take a knife. So eventually the truck isn't going the way they want to go, so they hop off and walk the rest of the way. Bummy is walking Youngblood home, and he notices a nice car in front of his house. Asked if it's his mom's car, and he says, no, it's his brother's car, and he's a banker. And they kind of argue about what a banker actually is and if uh, Youngblood's brother is technically a banker or not, and it's not really important. One thing that Bummy does say here is that he wants to be in the Kingsmen. That's the rival gang to the Daltons. And Bummy's kind of boasting here, if you mess with me, you mess with the Kingsmen. So we know that this is the gang that they're going to try to get into. And Bummy also wants Youngblood to come and meet the Kingsmen and potentially join himself. Yeah, probably better if they go as a twosome. So we go inside and Youngblood's mom is having dinner, the remains of dinner anyways, with a much older man. And she says she's about to go out, but not with this guy, because this is young Blood's brother, Reggie. She has a date with somebody else, though, obviously. She's very well dressed up. She expresses some concern that Junior, as she calls Youngblood, has been out so late and missed dinner again. Which she did not keep warm for him, by the way. And Youngblood is just more concerned that he keeps being called Junior. <laughs> yeah, it's not very dignified. Also, his dad is gone, whether by choice or not. So there's no one to be the Junior of. But it is kind of an infantilizing nickname. And while his mom is nagging him, he grabs a milk carton off the counter and starts to drink straight out of it. And then while his mom is still in his face, he belches at her and she slaps him and then that's the end of that she goes out and he's left alone there with reggie so i guess reggie takes pity on youngblood that he missed dinner because he takes him out for a bite yeah they're going to one of those places that sell hot like a hot dog stand or street taco vendor or something and youngblood obviously was very hungry which he told his mom is he wasn't because he's wolfing down a plate of food right now and the food isn't the only thing being sold there because there's a very <laughs> persistent salesperson nearby. Yeah, there's a, a vagrant trying to sell anything he can. He's got all kinds of rings. He's got a jam box. Reggie tells him to get lost. They're not interested in buying anything. But I think Youngblood 
would like to have something bought for him. I can't imagine he has any money of his own because he got robbed that night. But Reggie says they don't make deals with junkies. Later on, Bummy is introducing young blood to the Kingsman. And Bummy is telling an exaggerated story of what had gone down the night before with Durango and the Daltons. Right. He really embellishes the actual facts of the story. But in doing so, it gets caught admitting that they ran away, which is something Kingsmen never do. So it's up to Youngblood to finish the story and to correct Bummy's mistake. So in this version, a gun goes off and everybody scatters. Right. They didn't just tuck their tails between their legs and skulk off. Everyone had to leave. Good save there, Youngblood. Maybe, but they don't really seem to be buying it. (laughs) No. The gang leader is Romel, played by Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. And of course, we know him from Welcome Back, Cotter. And he sets a challenge for Bummy and Youngblood. If they want to get in the gang, they have to perform a mission. And the reason he needs to prove himself because he tells Youngblood that you got to be tough to run with the Kingsman. So he needs to prove himself. So Youngblood's mission is to spray paint the Kingsman's name in the Dalton's turf. There's an arcade. There's some gang members playing inside. It must close because they all leave and it gets the lights get turned off and there's nobody in there. So this is when Youngblood decides to start the mission. He doesn't do it while anyone's in there, which is less brave, I think. But probably smarter. (laughs) Yeah, he's alone, so he does have to. Well, not quite because somebody sees him. That's right. One of the other gang members comes from the other direction just as Youngblood is finishing up his handiwork there. After this new person accosts Youngblood, Youngblood sprays in the face with the white spray paint. And a scuffle ensues. As it is wont to do. And this member of the Daltons is carrying a switchblade, and that comes out. And during the scuffle, Youngblood is able to get a hold of it. They are up on a rooftop by now. So they run from the streets up to a building and up the outside staircase to the roof of the building. And here, Youngblood hides behind an air conditioning unit. The guy comes up, he grabs him, they fight, the knife gets lost, and Youngblood gets a hold of it. But instead of using the knife to end the fight permanently, he cuts the Dalton's emblem off this guy's jacket. And then he goes back to the Kingsmen to show them his new trophy. Right. And you think that would impress them, but no, because there's no blood on this trophy. So obviously, he didn't really hurt anybody. And that's always a good thing. You know, you get a little stab in, get a little blood dripping just to prove a point. He could have gotten that jacket without any fight whatsoever and brought back the trophy. So there's no proof that there was an actual altercation here. Just that he has a patch. But word has gotten out that the sign was painted on the other gang's turf. So he's going to be in the gang anyway. He's now a Kingsman, which is good because Suddenly they're at war. Right. The no time whatsoever. This is the pre-internet age, but somehow everyone knows that that this transgression has occurred and now there's retaliation and this involves everyone in both gangs. So there's going to be a rumble. Right. And everybody assembles in the park and it's really dark. It's kind of funny. They don't have the day for night shooting. It's really at night and you can barely see anything as they all walk to this park. The two gangs face off and decide how they're going to handle this fight. Yeah, the rules of engagement. And it's decided that this one will be using sticks and stones. Right, there's a hodgepodge of weapons here. Some people have bottles, but there's no lethal weaponry. There's two by fours. Baseball bats. And then a pretty long fight ensues. And it's funny because there's no slick fight choreography here. This is just sort of the awkward fighting style you'd expect if It was a real gang, and people were just kind of struggling against each other. It looks like a real street fight. Not that I would know. I've never been in a street fight or or any fight, really. But I assume. But someone's not playing by the rules. Right. During the fight, Rommel gets stabbed in the arm. Yes, one of the Daltons is not playing by the rules, has a switchblade, and goes for Rommel. And another seems to have a gun. Youngblood gets a hold of the gun somehow, and he's trying to shoot the person attacking Ramel, but he isn't able to. So while Youngblood doesn't shoot the guy who's attacking Ramel, he does get off a shot and a guy is dead. And at this point, the entire fight breaks up. Everyone scatters, except, of course, for the dead guy. Ramel brings Youngblood home with him to get cleaned up. 
and they pass Ramel's wife on the stairs as they go up to the bathroom. And Ramel has young blood clean and dress his wound. Right. While he's applying the first aid, Ramel tells Youngblood the story of how he got the two bullet wounds that Youngblood spots on his arm or chest or wherever. He was in Vietnam. He did a couple tours there. And he says, that's what real war is like. So Youngblood's staying the night. He's in another room and lying there listening to Ramel and his wife, Joan, speaking in the next room. You say speaking, but they're having an argument. Joan's unhappy. She's working, trying to make ends meet, but Ramel refuses to get a legitimate job. She's complaining that the rent is two months past due, the grocery bill is due next week, and that he won't work, and she's struggling as a typewriter jockey. And in the course of this fight, she gets upset and he slaps her, which is a real bummer. Not a bummer. I mean, it's... (laughs) After he slaps her, it makes me like his character a lot less because he was kind of charming up until then, but this is a, a huge character flaw. Next, we see Brother Reggie at work. He apparently does work at a bank because there's a large yellow dollar sign painted on the wall <laughs> of the inside of this building. He's already there, though. Who comes there is two white guys pull up in a convertible and park outside this bank. One of the guys goes in. We find out his name is Corelli. He goes up the stairs to the balcony where Reggie works. He brings him an attache case, which Reggie opens and looks at. Inside are a bunch of baggies filled with white powder. Well, I don't know what that has to do with banking. And they start this double speak about bowling and shooting ranges. There's a thinly veiled metaphor about staying out of trouble, aka keeping your balls out of the gutter. And there's a mention of business being up at the rifle range because of all the crime. And this is sort of double meaning, double speak here, and we'll find out later what it means. But for right now, we know that something shady is going on in Reggie's banking business. And back at the Kingsman headquarters, Youngblood is getting his ear pierced and he gets commentary from Howard Cosell. (laughs) Yeah, the character's name is Bubba Cosell, uh, played by TK Carter, and he does impressions. Earlier, he did one of Muhammad Ali, and now he's doing his Howard Cosell. So with this earring, Youngblood is now officially a Kingsman. Yeah, they all chant and cheer and celebrate this very special moment in a young man's life. Induction into a gang. And then they decide to celebrate by going bowling. As you do. And this appears to be the bowling alley that Reggie does business in because he's already there. Right, he's bringing a bowling bag full of something to the proprietor, Apparently got his balls in the gutter there. And Youngblood is really surprised to see his brother at the bowling alley, not bowling. And Reggie's surprised to see Youngblood there too, because I'm sure he wasn't expecting to be noticed when <laughs> made. <on this. laughs> right. He's also surprised that Youngblood is now sporting an earring and warns him that he is going to get pinched, which I guess is sort of a veiled homophobic threat. But Youngblood says he's got the Kingsman to back him and he's not going to get in any trouble over this. And Reggie questions his choice in friends and thinks that this might not be the best people for him to be hanging out with. Right, which is very hypocritical coming from him. Reggie tells Youngblood he's going to take him home and Youngblood says he can take care of himself. Youngblood doesn't care, though, because he spots Sybil, who's also at the bowling alley, and he kind of makes a beeline for her. He invites her to bowl a game and she says she's not feeling well. And she's also waiting for someone, so she doesn't want to hang out with him. Uh, He offers to get her a cold cloth. I don't know if she accepts, but he goes into the restroom to make that happen. And while in the restroom, he finds an ODing Kingsman. Well, first a syringe sort of rolls across the floor. And then when he looks to see where it came from, there's a stall that's blocked. And he has to wedge it open to get inside. And one of the Kingsmen is in there in the process of overdosing. Youngblood runs to get the rest of the gang, and they arrive just in time to watch Geronimo die. While the others remain behind, Youngblood runs off. He's looking for Sybil. She's gone. So he tries to find her. He goes outside, looks in the alley behind the bowling alley, runs up some stairs, comes back down, and eventually finds her in a different part of the alley. 
And he goes up to her and she's really in a bad way. She's crying and it takes some convincing, but he does convince her to leave with him. And he, t- he takes her to Ramel's house where Joan takes care of her. And she's on the couch and shivering under a blanket. But Joan says she's going to be okay eventually, but that young blood should keep an eye on her. And then she goes to confront Ramel. Ramel tells Joan that Geronimo is dead, but that he had nothing to do with it. He hasn't been near junk since returning from Nam. Right. So apparently this is a problem that he's had in the past. And she's concerned that it's raising its head again. And it is raising its head, but it's not because of Ramel. And in fact, Ramel wants to do something about this problem that killed his friend. He is working now, though. He has his taxi gig back, and he's starting tomorrow. But there's a plan in place to deal with the people who dealt the drugs to his friend. And this plan starts out with more basketball. <laughs> so they send their worst player into the fray here. It's Youngblood. He's totally getting hustled on the court by some guy named Earl the Pearl. He ends up losing a dollar to this guy, but they set up a meeting for later that night where drugs will be exchanged. And they set up a meeting near the junkyard. They're in a car, though, and Earl is demonstrating the efficacy of this drug by having a little snort of his own. And while he does that, Youngblood shoves him and grabs his bag and runs off. Earl gives chase. But it's a setup as Youngblood runs into the, a clearing in the junkyard. The rest of the gang is there waiting with flashlights. <laughs> it was entrapment. They take almost all of his clothes off and leave him lying on the ground after they kind of beat him up a bit. He's not dead, though. He's still breathing and moving. So the next day, Corelli is talking to Reggie, telling him about this dealer of his that got roughed up last night by some street kids. And after he leaves, Reggie calls his mom, warns her to keep Youngblood at home. So I think he has an idea of who's responsible here, but he doesn't want to sell out his own brother. And then reminds her about the house that he's got for them. So now Reggie is showing his mother the new house that he bought for her. And Youngblood is not happy with this idea of moving him. He refuses to do it. And he and Reggie have a bit of a confrontation. Youngblood refuses to go in the house because he's not planning on living there. And... Reggie just warns him that, where are you going to go? You don't want to be in the streets. This is no life for you. Somehow I think, though, that Youngblood knows the streets better than Reggie does at this point. Now that Ramel is working, he's taking advantage of his new position, and he's got a bunch of Kingsmen in his cab, and they're trailing another dealer who they refer to as Super Dude. Right. They're doing a little surveillance of this guy's habits and finding out where he works and figuring out a way to attack him. And one of the things that happens is Ramel gives Youngblood a gun, tells him to put it in his belt. While they're doing that, the gang member known as Skeeter Jeter is walking home with some groceries. And some of the Daltons pull up to him in a big old Cadillac or something, open up the window, start talking to him. And the next thing you know, they shoot him in the back as he's trying to climb over a fence and get away from them. And he's dead. So this really is war. And back with Ramel. He picks up Super Dude in his cab, and then the Kingsman abduct him. It's funny. He's trying to pull an accent here. He's doing this sort of fake Jamaican accent that made me think of the episode we did for Coffee, where she pretends to be Jamaican, and in the most god-awful Jamaican accent I've ever heard. So this isn't quite as bad, but it's, it's up there. So Super Dude is brought back to the Kingsman headquarters, where he's tied up and questioned. Super Dude does not want to give up the information that Ramel is looking for, so they threaten to kill him. And the way they're going to do this is by putting one bullet into a gun and clicking it at him Russian roulette style. After a few clicks, he starts to talk, and he says that he meets the supplier on Fridays at the West Side Rifle Club. In the manager's office. But at that moment, the door is shot open from the outside. Unfortunately for Bummy, he was out there, but now he's inside. He was standing guard. But now he's inside and quite dead. Yeah, Bummy was standing guard outside, and some of the other gang members obviously saw him, slowed down long enough to shoot him, and then sped off. This makes Youngblood sick. This is his best friend, and he sees him just completely covered in blood. And you can see him getting queasy here just looking at it. It's kind of That's a pretty sad and effective scene. He freaks out a little bit, but there's really nothing they can do because he's already dead. 
He does smash a chair over Super Dude, though, just in out of anger and fury. So what they decide that they're going to do is just leave Super Dude in the junkyard. <laughs> they sound like they're going to bury him, but not kill him. Sometime later, Youngblood meets up with Sybil. He's out walking, and they come across each other. She looks a lot better than she did before. Youngblood and Sybil chat for a bit. She says that she's on her way to get help, so she's going to a rehab. Youngblood wants to call her, and she says, once I get better. So she's not saying yes, also not saying no, but just definitely he's got to wait. We learn that Youngblood has been staying with his brother because he still refuses to move into that new house. Right. And his old house has been demolished. We find Ramel and Youngblood walking around the rubble from what used to be his home. Youngblood asks Ramel why he didn't kill Superdude the other night. He couldn't have killed him. That one bullet in the chamber was a blank. But Ramel says that killing isn't that easy. He learned that in Vietnam. And he just doesn't want to be that guy that snuffs out people. He's you know more enlightened gang member, I guess. And anyway, they have more important fish to fry. They're going for the top of the chain here in this drug-dealing empire. So that's the mission that Rommel feels that he's on. Back at his home, he and Joan are discussing this, and she's tired of competing with the gang. She mends his army uniform for him, and she wonders what it's for. He won't tell her. But she says she needs more of him. And the only way for her to get more of him is for the gang to get less of him. And Ramel relents and promises her that, yes, this will be the case, but not until we get done with this thing we're doing tomorrow. So on the morrow, Youngblood is at the rifle range with Ramel. Ramel is taking shots at clay pigeons. Right, with his super duper cool rifle. And one of the white guys from earlier in the movie comes up to admire it. And he gets a whole spiel about what kind of rifle it is and all these awesome features. And that guy asks Ramel if he wants to be a part of the turkey shoot that's coming up. And Ramel's like, yeah, sure. How do I sign up? And the guy tells him, go to the manager's office to sign up, which is exactly what he wanted to do. So in the manager's office, the manager is Curly. Curly, of course. Surprising no one. So he's giving his information and he asks for his first name and Ramel says, it's Joe. And then he asks for his last name and he says, it's Blow. And that's when we know that this is a setup. Yeah, Curly looks mildly annoyed <laughs> and he looks up in time to see Ramel pull out a gun. It's a different gun. This one's a pistol. Ramel and Youngblood tell Corelli to get his stash. Right. They want the dope and they want the cash. And they've got a bag. So he's bending over toward his safe. Corelli manages to pull out a gun himself, and he shoots Ramel. Yeah, it was up his pants leg. He aims a young blood, but the gun jams. <laughs> Guns are just not reliable for killing people. I don't know why people are so attached to them. So another scuffle ensues, and young blood gets a hold of the gun. He pistol whips Corelli, and he and Ramel run out of there. With the stash. With the stash. They're not scot-free, though. But they're not alone. There are... More guys and more guns after them, but they've got Chaka there, and he has a gun of his own, so they have their little defense in place. Right, and there's a shootout. Chaka shoots one of the security guys, and that guy goes down, and then they all run to the car. They run to the taxi, but Corelli's men shoot out the tires, so they can't use that. So then they have to run off on foot. They run across a field towards what looks like some water treatment plant or something industrial, they climb a fence and get over into that territory. They're still being chased, though. So eventually, they're down at the bottom of this reservoir, and Corelli's men are up at the top, and they shoot down and kill Chaka. But before he dies, he gets off a shot and kills one of the men who falls into part of the reservoir himself. Youngblood and Ramel carry on. They go through the reservoir and end up in some sort of a shipping yard. Right, they've lost the stash at this point, so this mission is turning out to be in vain. They're trying to stay hidden. They're hiding behind shipping containers, and Corelli drives up, and there's somebody else in the car with him. It's Reggie. Uh-oh. Plot twist. We never saw that coming. <laughs> well, you know who didn't see it coming was Youngblood. Ramel sinks down to the ground. He can't run anymore, but Youngblood leaves Ramel behind and starts looking around for Corelli and anyone else who's chasing him. It's kind of a cat and mouse game as they go through these narrow passages and just barely missing each other until finally Youngblood spots Reggie. 
Youngblood goes up to him and asks what he's doing there. And as he's doing this, Corelli takes a shot. Reggie pushes Youngblood out of the way and takes the bullet himself. He goes down. But before he does, he gets off a shot and shoots Corelli, who also goes down. Youngblood runs up to his bleeding brother. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. And he appears to already be dead. And Blood gives him a kiss goodbye. And he heads off to the rest of his life, we presume, after the freeze frame ends. Right. And we have the captions up here. Here's what the captions said as this is happening. Upbeat funk music, because I guess this is the time for upbeat music. It then it just ends with a freeze frame on Youngblood. We don't know what happens to Ramel. I assume he's okay. He wasn't fatally wounded or anything. But that's it. That's the end. Welcome back to the American International Podcast, where we are discussing 1978's Young Blood. And again, it's not 1986's Young Blood. This movie would serve not only for AIP, but for the whole film industry as kind of a bookend to the black exploitation era. It is definitely one of AIP's last movies and also just one of the last movies in the genre. We wouldn't see much of this cast in other productions from AIP, but Lawrence Hilton Jacobs had previously appeared in Cooley High, as did Ren Woods. And Isabel Cooley was in Suicide Battalion way back when. Yeah, she played the principal, so she didn't have a big role in this movie. But maybe we'll have to check out Suicide Battalion so we can see more of her. We weren't able to find out a whole lot about the making of this movie beyond the director's commentary, which was on the Blu-ray edition of this film. And we learned a lot about how director Noel Nosek set up some of the shots and basically his opinions on the cast and The ones he could remember were great. So there wasn't a whole lot of information there. I was able to find one contemporary review of the movie from Vincent Canby for the New York Times. He called it a low-budget melodrama that trivializes a lot of the problems without offering in return anything in the way of entertainment. And he kind of blames that on Noel Nosek and writer Paul Carter Harrison's TV career, which is pretty low blow. And one thing that he did say was that The movie tries to walk down both sides of the street at the same time, saying that the gang themselves are not above murder and other forms of antisocial behavior, but they become as righteous as a Sunday school group when one gang member dies of an overdose of a bad drug. He doesn't know when the movie kind of pivots from being about street toughs doing gang stuff to, oh, now we got to take down these terrible white drug dealers. Yeah, it becomes a bit of a revenge movie halfway through. I don't know if they just got off track or if they felt like that was the story they really wanted to tell. The tagline for this movie when it was released is, if you live through the gang wars, the pushers, the back alley death traps, you gonna be a star. And I don't think that applies to the movie in any way, shape, or form. One of the most notable things about this movie was the soundtrack. The entirety of this was composed by the band War, performed by them as well. 
And it's an album that you can buy on Apple Music or wherever you get your, your music from. But they released a soundtrack for the entire movie. And there's hits like uh, Youngblood, Living in the Streets, Sing a Happy Song, Keep on Doing, and a lot of other incidental music from the film. The director of photography for Youngblood was Robbie Greenberg. And he would go on to be the cinematographer for such films as All I Want for Christmas and Free Willy. Oh, that, I mean, that's the logical progression from Youngblood, isn't it? So in an attempt to find information on this movie, we went to ChatGPT to see if they could do some research that we couldn't. And the answer to that is not really. They did find a bit of information, or rather they weren't above making up stuff to fill in what they couldn't locate. We learned that ChatGPT is not above lying to us when it can't find what we want. After convincing it that Rob Lowe wasn't in the movie, it came up with its own storyline for Youngblood, including a whole new cast. And and crew. (laughs) Why don't you read us some selections from what ChatGPT found out? Youngblood, a gritty coming-of-age drama with passion and heart. Nope. Released in 1978. True. Directed by Noel Nasek. True. Youngblood is a lesser-known gem in the realm of coming-of-age films. Yeah, debatable. Starring Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. True. In the titular role. Nope. The movie delves into the life of a young African-American man growing up in a tough neighborhood during the late 1970s. Uh, maybe. It didn't look that tough. It looked pretty normal to me. With its authentic portrayal of inner-city struggles. <laughs> okay. Genuine performances and a gripping narrative. Youngblood stands as a noteworthy entry in the genre. In this review, we will explore the plot, analyze the performances, and discuss the behind-the-scenes details of this impactful film. (laughs) Oh, it's impactful. Awesome. Youngblood centers around the life of Youngblood, played by Lawrence Hilton Jacobs. How'd they get that? A teenage African-American boy living in a working-class neighborhood. The film opens with Youngblood's mother, Vivian. Nope. Played by Barbara Samoth. Double nope. Struggling to make ends meet. Yeah, probably. Determined to provide a better life for himself and his family, Youngblood dreams of becoming a professional boxer. (gasps) Okay, they took a little bit of information and just extrapolated it out into its own storyline. Youngblood's life takes a dramatic turn when he crosses paths with Clarence, played by Brian O'Dell. Oh, wow. Brian O'Dell is Youngblood. A local boxing coach who recognizes his potential. (laughs) I think they're stealing a bit from Rocky here, maybe. (laughs) Under Clarence's guidance, Youngblood begins to train rigorously, honing his skills and preparing for a future in the ring. There's one boxing scene. It lasts a minute. However, life isn't straightforward for Youngblood. True. He faces various challenges, including peer pressure, racial discrimination, (laughs) and the temptations of street life. Uh, There's a, a bit of that. As he navigates these obstacles, Youngblood discovers the importance of friendship, loyalty, and self-belief. Well, okay. The film presents a gripping narrative that combines Youngblood's personal journey with a broader exploration of the socioeconomic issues prevailing in the 1970s. You can make a case for that. It depicts the struggles faced by young African Americans trying to escape the cycle of poverty and violence that plagues their community. I think that gives it a lot more credit than it deserves. Lawrence Hill Jacobs delivers a powerful and nuanced performance as Youngblood. (laughs) He perfectly captures the character's ambition, vulnerability, and determination, making the audience invest deeply in his journey. This sounds like something I might have written as a paper in film school. (laughs) For a movie you didn't watch? (laughs) You fell asleep during? Well, that had a, a minimum number of words required. Right, but you got every detail wrong. It looks like you looked at the poster and then decided to make up a plot for the movie. Jacobs portrays Youngblood's evolution from an uncertain teenager to a confident and resilient young man with great conviction. (laughs) Supporting performances also contribute significantly to the film's impact. Brian O'Dell delivers a memorable performance as Clarence. Clarence. (laughs) The wise and supportive boxing coach. They got the ages completely off here. Odell brings depth to the character, effectively conveying his own personal struggles while guiding Youngblood through the challenges he faces. <laughs> Barbara Samoth shines as Vivian, Youngblood's hardworking and loving mother. 
I wonder if that's a real person. We'll have to look that up. It's definitely not Anne Weldon who played Youngblood's mom. And Barbara Salath is definitely not in this movie. Definitely not. She imbues the character with warmth and resilience, <laughs> serving as an emotional anchor for Youngblood amidst the harsh realities of their lives. <laughs> and she has, what, three scenes in this movie? Directed by Noel Nasek, Youngblood benefits from its authentic portrayal of inner city life and its characters. And ChatGPT would know about inner city life. The film succeeds in capturing the essence of the late 1970s, immersing the viewers in a world filled with poverty, racial tensions, and limited opportunities. And war songs. The screenplay, penned by Peter McCarthy, Wrong. <laughs> skillfully balances the personal story of Youngblood with the broader social issues of the era. McCarthy's writing provides depth and complexity to the characters, while also shedding light on the societal challenges faced by marginalized communities during the during that time. Maybe? The cinematography, helmed by Arthur J. Ornitz. Nope. Contributes to the film's gritty realism. <laughs> it does look real. Ornitz's use of natural lighting and handheld <laughs> camera work lends an immediacy to the storytelling, effectively capturing the raw emotions and intimate moments of the characters. Maybe? The film's score, composed by Jack Nietzsche. Oh, we already said it's by war and all of it. Further enhances the viewing experience. Nietzsche's evocative music accentuates the emotional beats, elevating the tension and drama of key moments in the narrative. That is a real person, but he had nothing to do with this movie. In conclusion, Youngblood is a compelling coming-of-age drama that deserves recognition for its honest portrayal of the struggles faced by young African Americans in the 1970s. With Lawrence Hilton Jacobs delivering a standout performance as the titular character... <laughs> The film dives deep into themes of ambition, perseverance, and identity. Noel Nasek's direction, Peter McCarthy's screenplay, and the captivating performances from the entire cast bring authenticity and emotional depth to the story. The film's exploration of socioeconomic issues and the impact of racial discrimination adds a layer of social commentary, making it a relevant and thought-provoking watch even today. Yeah, this really reads more like a kid's school report rather than an actual critique. I guess Vincent Canby has nothing to worry about. He's not going to get replaced by a robot anytime soon. While Youngblood may not have achieved the same level of mainstream success as other films in the coming-of-age genre, true, its grit, passion, and heart make it a hidden gem that deserves to be discovered and appreciated by cinephiles and fans of powerful storytelling. In an era dominated by blockbuster spectacles, Youngblood serves as a reminder of the profound impact of smaller character-driven films. It stands as a testament to the power of cinema in shedding light on marginalized communities and their struggles, while also inspiring hope, resilience, and the pursuit of dreams. Wow. I hope ChatGPT got an A-plus on this report. Now, Cheryl, instead of the movie I just described, why don't you tell me what you thought of Youngblood from 1978? Oh, you mean the movie we actually watched? Yeah. All right. Well, I'll go by our AIP scale, where A is awesome, I is intermediate, and P is pathetic. And I think I'm going to surprise you here. I'm going to give it an A. I actually like this movie. I like the character of Youngblood. I think the storytelling is cohesive. I think the characters are interesting. I really like Lawrence Hilton Jacobs in this. He seemed to be a very complicated character. He wasn't a great guy. Obviously, he's in a gang, but he's been through some bad times. He was in Vietnam. He's shot. He's trying to put his life together after getting back from the war, which was very difficult for many veterans, as we know. And I think there's enough nuance here where the characters aren't all black and white. They're, they're good. They're bad. They're everything in between. So, you know, just to give it up for the score, that was fun. There was a lot of upbeat bongo music and upbeat electronic music. And it just kept the movie moving. The movie's not that long. It's a quick watch. There's a lot going on if you have to sit down and take notes on it. So I'm not as effusive as ChatGPT, obviously. But I'm going to give it an A. What do you think? I really like this movie, too. This is very much an independent film. It was an acquisition of AIP, but produced independently. And... There's some guerrilla style shooting in it, and I think it really lends to the realism. The gritty realism, even. The gritty realism, yeah, as <laughs> ChatGPT would call it. I think the cast is all 
excellent. You're right, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs is he's very likable. He is. He's he's it's a very understated performance, I think. Right. It's not over the top. He's not a sweat hog here. But it's it's very real. I mean, as real as we understand it. And this is a film that makes me wish that we had more choices on our scale of AIP because I can't quite give it an A, but I think it's better than an I. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. So if I could, if there was that center one, it would be right there. It a would minus. be um, instead of a one, three, five, it would be a four. Right, right. But it's got to fall down to a three for me. I'm going to give it an I. Ah, uh-huh. well, why not an A though? What what takes it down a notch for you? I think it might be the predictability. I think they give away too soon that Reggie is dealing with these. Drug lords. Right. Yeah. They could have left out that shot where he's looking in the attache case and sees the Coke. That would have left it a mystery to us as well as to young blood. If it came to as much of a surprise to us, I think this would have been a much stronger film. Right. And there is a bit of after school special to this movie where drugs are bad. Okay. We never see why Sybil does drugs. We don't see why Geronimo does drugs. We, We don't see that happening. We just see the aftermath where they're dead or they think they're dying. It's obviously bad, but we don't get to see what leads up to that. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, there are no good trips in this movie. <laughs> there are no good trips in most movies. We didn't choose to watch this movie. It was chosen for us by our random movie selector. But I think I'm glad that we have that because it does give us a chance to see movies that we would never pick off this catalog. There's so many movies to choose from. This probably would have been more at the bottom of what we would have gotten to, but instead we got to see it as one of the first ones that we've done. And I kind of like that. It isn't kind of cool to just know that we can pick any movie from the AIP catalog and it will be something good, something bad, something in between, but it's definitely something interesting. Okay, well, I think that just about wraps it up for this episode of the American International Podcast. Until next time, I'm Jeff Markin. And I'm Cheryl Lightfoot. And we'll meet you at the drive-in. Follow the American International Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at AIP underscore pod and on Facebook at facebook.com slash American International Podcast. The American International Podcast is produced and edited by Jeff Markin. A man whose mind is distorted by hatred. And Cheryl Lightfoot. A girl hungry for too many things. The American International Podcast is part of the Pop Culture Entertainment Network.